podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everyone, this is Bubka here. In this episode, I'm talking to Don Kame Sensei from Kisaki Kai, uh, and we focused our conversation on inclusion, dyspraxia, uh, karate applications, uh, physiology, anatomy, and methodology of training. My apologies, as the, we had uh, some problems with the technology. Uh, everything was against us. Zoom uh, didn't want to work. Internet uh, was breaking up. I don't know about mine. Uh, Don couldn't find uh, his um, uh, part of the house where the internet was perfect. So everything was against us. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. So everybody was using it on Saturday. Uh, eventually, we managed to use Skype and have a successful conversation, a very pleasurable conversation. Uh, i done uh, as best as I could to clear up the recording. I hope you're going to be able to hear it. I hope you're going to enjoy it. And without further ado, um, let's listen to it. Hello and welcome, I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. My guest today is Don Kame, the head instructor uh, for Kisaki Kai Methods in the UK. Uh, hello, how Don, how are you? I'm good Les, thank you, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, could you tell us some uh, background on your martial arts experience, where did you start it and how did you end up in karate? Yeah, sure. Um, I started when I was 13, uh, which was 1976. Um, the martial arts craze at the time is, was with a lot of people, was Bruce Lee movies, uh, Enter the Dragon. Um, and I was looking for something that um, I could do. Uh, and I found myself um, joining a Taekwondo club initially. Um, and I was with Taekwondo for a number of years. Uh, I tried a few other bits and pieces as well. Um, I'd say it was more of a mishmash rather than mixed martial arts, certainly in the early days, so mishmash martial arts. Um, I finally sort of settled with uh, Wado, um before finding a home with uh, the Kisaki Kai organization and Vince Morris. So um, why Kisaki Kai Method? I know you, you told me that it's not a style, it's a method. Could you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, it's an approach to training. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there's as many styles of martial art as there are people practicing martial arts. So it's about the approach to training. Um, the uh, ethos is to try and make training as functional as possible. So um, a lot of it is underpinned uh, by what we refer to as the rules of combat, um, which has been written down uh, by Vincent Boy, an excellent book. I highly recommend it for everybody's library. Um, but it uh, covers the, the uh, basic principles, uh, biomechanical principles, psychological principles um, that are involved in, in martial arts that help to make it uh, a functional system. Awesome. So um, I, pretty much it. Well, do you do you um, teach martial arts for a living, or you've got other job? Combination. I do uh, martial arts, and I also teach uh, rehabilitative um, uh, Pilates. 
Oh, okay. Um, so I work at a, a clinical um, a Pilates center. It's run by a physio, and uh, I do um, Pilates. And so I do one-to-one. We were doing two-to-ones in classes there. I do all the classes online, like we do everything else at the moment. But we've just gone back into doing one-to-ones, which is, is nice. You feel like uh, you're benefiting people. Mm. That's yeah. interesting. I, I would ask you about it if I knew. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I've been doing it for years. I actually got into Pilates because of an injury. I, injured, uh, I had a prolapsed disc in my mm. back. And uh, it put me out of action for quite a while. And I had to rehab. And I used Pilates as, as my rehab, primary rehab tool. Um, and my back got better. Uh, so I stopped doing the Pilates and I injured my back again. So I had to go through the whole process again. Uh, and then I had to did the same thing again, got better, <laughs> stopped doing it, injured my back again. And then I realized, actually, I've got to keep on doing this, haven't I? So it, ever since then, I've, I've used it as part of my training um, program. So I've got uh, um, balance. And the Pilates actually is quite a really good discipline when it comes to understanding karate as well. There's a mm. quite crossover uh, within the two. And also, so basically I combine things like uh, do kettlebells for resistance training, body weight training, obviously, uh, the Pilates uh, and the karate all blend together quite well. I think that's very interesting that people, you know, I'm a personal trainer as well, and I've mm-hmm. got the, the qualification with the corrective and postural assessment and yep. corrective exercises. So I implement that a lot in my karate as well. And I think it's, it's great stuff to... Um, to be aware how your body works. And I feel yeah. that uh, a lot of instructors lacking simple anatomy and physiology. Absolutely. Uh, but it's also because that's the boring bit for people, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background is sport and exercise science. I did my d- degree in uh, exercise science at uh, Brighton University. And I did that because of my involvement in martial arts. So my martial arts has uh, sort of inspired my education and my education has inspired my martial arts. Excellent. Which is as it should be. Mm. So with uni, we did uh, you know things like anatomy, physiology, uh, psychology, uh, physiology, you know, um, philosophy. I, I always ask um, my guests uh, one question which is always featuring others changing but this one is always constant so mm. what impact has martial arts had or have uh, on your mental health it's uh, really important again i think we discuss, we've had discussions about this before and and ultimately everybody everybody has uh, experiences some sort of mental health issue issues uh, throughout their lives um, and it's important to have some sort of coping mechanism in place and for me uh, certainly martial arts is that mechanism um, it so it supplies a constant uh, in an otherwise changing world um, so it's a nice way to take yourself away from the stresses and strains of everyday life and something different. It helps check outside of uh, the situation and maybe see it, help you see it a little bit more clearly um, and hopefully then be able to deal with it a little bit more. My own experience over the years is numerous times where things have happened that have um, created quite a dark space 
uh, and it's they, it really helped me along with family and friends. Martial arts have been very, very important in in helping me stay afloat. Um, sometimes you coast, but eventually it gives you the strength to to deal with the situations and to um, move on. Excellent. You, uh, I've uh, I've seen the clip uh, you posted on Facebook about you and the dyspraxia. Could you maybe explain a little bit about dyspraxia, what it is? Yeah, I think the easiest way to think of dyspraxia is if you consider it to be physical dyslexia. So it's poor coordination. Uh, the, the signals aren't getting where they need to be. So, for example, uh, as a child, my brain would tell me to walk. It would tell my legs to move. My legs wouldn't move and I'd just fall over. Um, it's had a huge impact on not it's not really something that they consider to be a sort of a mental uh, development issue, but it can impact on your development of social skills. You feel clumsy, you feel awkward, you, you can be left feeling very, very different, which is something all kids go through anyway. Um, but uh, as I say, it gives you. Uh, creates issues with uh, um, ability to socialize with groups. Uh, and I think that everybody needs to be able to learn how to interact, learn how to deal with people, deal how, how to um, just deal with the, the environment around them. I think that's, uh, yeah. So where I went with that, that was, the, the, the video was actually inspired by uh, a, a link you put up the guy explaining about his experience with dyslexia and that encouraged me to to put that out there to be honest um, because i know there's a lot of people who have issues with movement and i think that martial arts is, is a great way to help create balance and awareness of, you know this spatial awareness this ability to um you know, just improve your overall awareness of what you're doing and what's what space you're in yeah that's what i was uh, a puzzle when you said that because uh knowing you uh, I've seen how you move. I wouldn't say, ever wouldn't guess that you had the problems with balance coordination and stuff like that. Um, how much you would contribute that to uh, karate training or is it just that people just get on with their life and learn those skills through practice and um, I don't know how to, how is treatable the dyspraxia. I'm not the expert on the subject. Um, so what are your thoughts about it? Uh, well, practice makes permanent. And, and the more practice you can do, obviously it does improve, it strengthens those neural pathways, uh, makes you much more spatially aware. I think it is, for me, that was the, the challenge. And because it was such a solo challenge, you didn't have to rely on being part of a team for martial arts practice. It was very much what you did. Um, yes, you made comparisons with what other people were doing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it gives you something to aim for. You're always looking, this is the whole point of the ranking system. You don't stand there as a white belt uh, and look at a black belt and say, okay, I'm going to do that. And you actually look at the grades above you, look at what they're doing and say, yes, I'm going to do that. And then you sort of work your way um, through the ranks. Um, so I think that it's uh, a very important, I think for me, it was the right choice. And I think for many people, it would be the right choice. I think it was a probably a combination of things i think it was the fact that i was developing physically anyway i started martial arts practicing uh, practice at the right time um albeit by accident 
so as I was developing uh, physically, as I was maturing mentally, um, I think that went hand in hand with the martial arts practice and brought about um, a dramatic change. Uh, you know, I think I said in the video, uh, my wife would be the first one to point out that I still have my clumsy moments, um, and I do. I, <laughs> uh, in fact, oh, yesterday I managed to um, smack my head on something that was actually well with it, well out of my range, but I still managed to hit my head on it. Miracle. This ability to hit my head on things, even when they're nowhere nearby. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it, I, I would say it's essential. And I think anyone who has issues with balance, uh, whether they're sporting or not, you don't have to be sporting to get involved in martial arts. I think this is one thing that appealed to me so much uh, when I took it up. Is that it has no relevance. Your sporting ability has no relevance on your martial arts training. Certainly there's a sporting element to the martial arts, and I'm not saying you should ever do away with that. But I think that uh, um, as a solo practice for developing spatial awareness and therefore, you know, improving your self-esteem, developing your confidence because you're starting to do things you couldn't do before. You know, it has a, a dramatic effect, not just on uh, improving people's um, ability to move, improve their balance, improve their posture, but also improve their um their sense of self-awareness, their sense of self-worth, uh, their confidence. Um, phenomenal practice. You know, I'd, say I'd, I'd like to see it um, compulsory in schools, but uh, maybe that'd be a bit too extreme. Yeah, I, I, would, I would like to see it as well. Um, uh, tell me, what do you think about, uh, I don't know, are you running a club or are you just doing the private sessions? Uh, at the moment, we all do the same nearly. Yes. But um, within your club structure, uh, how do you deal with the inclusion? So I'm sure you've got the different people with different abilities going into the club. Uh, what steps are you taking to make sure that they are all, all happy and their needs are met? Mm. Well... I have a very small club um, and we have a very uh, specific way of training, which is not available to us at the moment because of the social distancing. Uh, it's pretty much all partner based from the after the warm up uh, side of things. Everything uh, was partner based. So first of all, it has to be something that people want to do. If people want to do it, then we would do all we could to make them uh, feel included and make it accessible to them. There are obvious limitations to that, depending on um, you know, what the physical condition is, um, what the person's uh, physical limitations are. Uh, but even then, we could, because it's partner-based, you work at the level of the student. So you could have two people working together or a different skill level quite easily because they both work at their level. Providing the students are happy to have a degree of physical contact, again, as we say, we can't do that at the moment, but hopefully it won't be too long before we can get back into our formal training, then they can actually experience a very uh, dramatic, a very rapid improvement in not just their physical ability, their spatial awareness, um, but also in their 
confidence in dealing with people within a certain space. Okay, we all are. We all have our own uh, little space and our, our safety zone, our personal space is generally only open to people we invite in. If we make that uh, unsaid contract with a training partner to allow somebody into that space, they have to be happy to do that. They have to be confident that uh, the person is wants the best for them and they want, so they want to be work, working together. There has to be a signage between the people working together. Um, and I think that then it's a very difficult thing. You know this as well as, you know, when people work close together, it's very intimidating. You know, it's, it's dealing within somebody's personal space, particularly if you don't know them very well, if you've only just met them, that's a very difficult thing to do. And that makes that initial, making that initial bridge, that initial contract, contact uh, is the biggest step in, uh, we have to overcome in the way that we train. If people can make that step, then the whole thing just opens up. It really just blossoms out and they can do a huge amount. They can learn a lot about themselves. Um, they can learn about how they interact with other people. And, you know, another element, I think, is, is this is this. There has to be a crossover. Everything we do in our martial arts has an impact or has a potential impact on how we deal with everything else in our lives. We learn through going into the dojo and training with different people that you don't have to be best friends with everyone. You go in and you learn respect, you give respect, you earn respect, okay? but you are um, not just respecting the other person, respecting yourself. By learning how to use your body more efficiently, you're learning to respect your body as well. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's, you know, we, we focus on the, the self-defense elements of our art hugely. Um, and that, that's not wrong. You know, it is a, a defensive system. But it's not all it is. Uh, it's about developing those social skills. It's about de developing uh, and improving on our physical and mental well-being. Through movement, through understanding movement. Um, you know, we all know what it's like on bad days. We feel quite clunky and quite stiff and quite immobile. But when we start to loosen everything up, we start to grease the grooves, as it were. Everything starts to become fluid. It starts to move more freely. It just starts to feel really, really nice. You know, and you know, any time we learn something new, we go back to being clunky again. We, have to, we work on the mechanics and we have to really focus on working on the mechanics. And I think this is you know, the first point is this is what starts to help people to separate what they're, what is going on in their everyday life to what goes on in the dojo, because we have to shut everything else out. We're working on quite challenging mechanical movements, but then we have to transcend the mechanics. So if you think about the mechanical process, We've got a uh, four-move combination or a four-move sequence, say, for example. We break it down into its four yeah. parts. Just that way. So then we say, okay, uh, I'm polishing each part of that technique, each part of that sequence. 
but then I have to bring it all back together again. So we're trying to create that fluidity, that connection. You know, as uh, Bruce Lee says in uh, Enter the Dragon, um, don't think, you know, you have, to, you have to work on developing a feel for the movement, feel the connections internally and externally. So when we make a contact with somebody, we are getting an external uh, input. And that's going to, again, reflect on that internal sensation. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's mindfulness in training. That's, that's right. what we're searching for in, in our training. We're trying to achieve this state of mindful awareness. We're trying to create this state of balance and, and symmetry in the body and the way that we move. And don't forget, self-defense isn't just defending against somebody trying to cause you physical harm. We also have to consider the aspect of protecting ourselves from ourselves. You know? So we've all got, you know, particularly guys like ourselves who have been in martial arts for a number of years and we've had some really, really bizarre training methodology um, enforced on us. Um, we carry injuries from those days. Mm. Uh, dodgy knees, hip, uh, shoulders, all from the ways that we used to train, because I was too stupid to know any different. <laughs> so I used to persevere with those things, even though I was actually doing myself physical harm. So I think with training, with teaching, with good teachers, um, you know, a, a teacher, a sensei, is somebody who's, who's gone before. You know? We're almost like a scout, where... We should be searching out the best practices and then filtering them down to the people that choose to train with us. Okay, and then they go on and they do the same thing. They go out and they 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 search out these practices and they adopt the, the good practices. We always looking to try and cut away the bad practices from what we do and and refine what we do. If we're not, we're not getting any better. So we should constantly be looking to refine, not just movement, but teaching methods um, and also um, say that the approach to uh, the way that we train, and the way that we study uh, the art. Got it round there, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you, you just answered my question because I was going to ask you, ask you about the methodology. Are you sticking to traditional or are you searching for new ones? But you already said you're looking for new new things. So I, I believe that you, just like me, you don't worry about discard, discarding, getting rid of uh, the unwanted stuff, um, like you said about the kibadachi and stuff like that, the horse stance. I, I completely get rid of it to, uh, towards the open stance, the shikodachi, because it was just ruining my knees and ankles. Uh, and yeah. just uh, uh, it depends on my students. I just getting rid of, of the stances which I, are harmful to them. I, I, I don't tend to use uh, kibadachi, but I come from a wado background, and we don't really have that uh, stance anyway. Um, so we use the straddle stance that she could actually. Uh, but I think they all have their place. But the thing is, I think a lot of problems came about because of the increased uh, emphasis on the athleticism of mm. martial arts uh, and how it looked as opposed to what its function was. You know, and if uh, a, a stance isn't functional, if it's creating stress, excessive stress through the joints. If it's potentially damaging the joints, there's nothing functional in that. Mm -hmm. you know, so I think if we look at it historically, stances tended to be higher, shorter, 
not because of the age of the people demonstrating, but because that is the functional way to practice those stances. With the athleticism, longer, lower uh, stances became the norm. Um, and the, the theater, if you like, was born um, and it became the, the mainstay of the martial arts because it looked good. Face it, it looks great. You watch somebody do a, a, a good competition character, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Indeed, Absolutely. yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's function, there's good function. Great to watch. It's like watching a good dancer, isn't it? You know, mm. you can watch Eoka dancer and it's okay. Watch a brilliant dancer, wow, they blow you away. Yeah, and I think the same thing can be said uh, in martial arts. I think what's more important in martial arts is what isn't seen. It's not about what we see, it's about what we don't see. And it's those internal connections. Um, yeah, so I think that's really important. Mm. Um, what are you thinking about, uh, there's, I, at least I can see the, the, the quite a big shift in recent, recent years that more people looking for the the practical side of, of karate. Um, do you think we should look for the uh, old interpretations of the kata, of the movements, or should we just uh, stick to, uh, let's say, the, the, the prob identifying the problem and then using karate uh, as it fits, or should we uh, use karate to find the problem and then try <laughs> to fix it? You see what I mean. I probably didn't describe it very well. No, I think I think it's fantastic that there's this strong movement towards um, putting karate into a context, uh, and that context being function. But function, you know, how do you define functional karate? There's all sorts of elements involved in that. If we're talking about application. Um, I follow the principle line of best. Okay? So when you're working an application, any application should be flexible enough to deal with a number of different uh, types of interaction, types of attack. Uh -huh. We will never know whether we are working on the original application. And to be honest, I don't think it's important. The important thing is, um, is it something that suits your body? Is it something that you can make work against a variety of different body types? Um, and ultimately, you know, you've got to remember that um, all karate is, is the cat or keon is actually a relatively false construct. We're using uh, keon and kata as a training platform, if you like. They're, they're models. And they're there to help us to develop our uh, awareness, uh, develop our ability, in, and our, develop our connections in how we move. They're training people. They're, they're there to help us move more efficiently. Basically, you know, I think we're never going to know the original applications. That's not necessarily an issue. Um, we need to make sure that the what we do need to do, and I think this is where the move towards functional karate is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, there's some really, really great stuff out there. 
there's some fantastic stuff and some really good people out there now and doing some really wonderful things. Um, but there's still um, a lot of stuff done from, in my opinion, unrealistic ranges. You know, mm -hmm. they'll start from a, a, a long front stance or they start from too far away or they'll assume a boxing guard, uh, you know, things like that, which are uh, sort of problematic at best. We need to understand that self-defense and match fighting are very different things, although there's a lot of skills that uh, cross over. Um, so our bunkai should um, take that into account. So when we analyze movements, be it kion or kata, we want to make sure that we are close enough to touch right from the outset. We want to make sure that we're moving, moving to position of advantage, referring back to what we said about the rules of combat earlier on. Um, and also that we are uh, in a position to use as many of our uh, defensive weapons as we possibly can. So if we follow those basic uh, principles, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but obviously, um, on a simple level, don't be in front of the attacker. Be close enough to hit if you need to hit. Because if you're not close enough to, to, to hit or be hit, then you don't need to get involved. Exactly. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to be there. Remove yourself from the situation. It's only when it gets that close that the physical skills are the necessary ones. And generally, in self-defense, if we get to that point, it's because we've stuffed up somewhere else. Mm. So um, the, the self-defense skills need to be there, but an environment, it, you know, our, our self-defense training should include, include uh, environmental awareness. It should, it should include some sort of uh, legal awareness, the possible implications of getting involved in a confrontation. Um, and so all of these things have to be addressed and also, you know, make it very clear to people. And I think this is something that particularly has come out of the advent of uh, this move towards more applicable karate, if you like, is that people are starting to have a real uh, respect for the techniques and the potential damage that a technique can do. Mm -hmm. So uh, morally, ethically, karmically, if there is such a word, uh, we find ourselves in a much better position to choose the right response rather than, you know, it's uh, the reasonable force uh, law is, is an ambiguous one at best. But if we can justify to ourselves that we've done what we need to do and no more, then uh, we're in a, a reasonably solid position, I think. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, training awareness, legal stuff, so I'm, I'm for my club, uh, years ago, I withdrawn the uh, term self-defense. Mm -hmm. So I kind of don't teach self-defense because I don't teach uh, much of uh, uh, awareness, legal stuff, although we, we're moving that direction and, and, and getting people to teach me so I can teach that. Um, but do you think that uh, uh, it's kind of misleading that the most of the karate groups using or oh, learn self-defense with us? Um, and they actually don't don't teach self defense. It's all kind of sports based yeah. imagina imagination of self defense. Yeah, this this is a, a big problem, isn't it? Uh, you know, we've all been subject to that over some point in time. I mean, when, remember when I first started doing martial arts, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was the sparring, the kumite side of things. Um, even though I wasn't particularly good at it. Uh, but being clumsy had its advantages. <laughs> Unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah, I think that, that but that we were told uh, it's for self-defense, it's for self No, it wasn't. We were learning match fighting. It was nothing to do with self-defense. Um, I, I don't like the term self-defense. Like yourself, I think it's actually a bit misleading. I think the term uh, self-protection, personal protection is more applicable. Um, and I think also it, it covers a, a broader spectrum. It gives a better image of what we're trying to do uh, overall. But um, again, it has to be directed at range. If, if uh, I know I had a conversation with um, a gentleman a few years back, we were sitting having a coffee discussing martial arts and he, was, he had a very, very successful uh, dojo or number of dojo or uh, something similar. Um, and we were saying, he was saying that his system, what he taught, was um, totally ineffective as a self-defense system. Great as a sport, but it wasn't uh, wasn't suitable for self-defense. It wasn't taught as self-defense, blah, blah, blah. Great, okay. Following week, this same guy had posters up um, selling his art and his dojo. Come and learn self-defense. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it, I think if you, we need to be honest with the people we teach. Um, so if I'm teaching a sport, I say I'm teaching a sport. If I mm. say I'm teaching a personal protect a system that involves elements of personal protection, I need to be able to justify that. I need to be able to give them a context. Okay, because mm. we're not just teaching people to punch and kick. You know, we're teaching people to care about themselves. We're teaching people to care about other people. You know, that's that's the bigger picture. Don, mm. let me let me. Uh... A second, I just tell Anna because uh, yeah. Anna, if she wants to come in, she can come in. I'm not sure if my wife is hearing me. A little one is crying. Try to get in oh, here. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> what you need to do. That's fine. Um, but it seems to be moved somewhere else now, crying somewhere else. Uh, moving on to the next question. Yeah. Uh, changing the subject. Uh, who was your biggest? Uh, influencer in your uh, travels through the karate realm? It's a difficult question, isn't it? It's really it is, yeah. <laughs> I've been, I can actually honestly say that I've been influenced by everyone that I've trained with in one way or another. You know, some influences have been more positive than others. Uh, and I don't really want to start listing names because if I list a lot of names, I'm going to miss people out. Okay. And mm. then. I don't want to offend anyone, but I miss them out. I've, I've trained with some really good people. I've learned a lot from all sorts of people, all sorts of grades and from all sorts of disciplines. But if I was to just pick two names out, um, first of all, I'd say Vince Morris. Phenomenal. Uh, a great friend, uh, being my mentor uh, for many, many years now. Um, and just phenomenally good guy and great martial artist. The other person I would pick out as uh, being a major influence is a gentleman called uh, Steve Rowe. Uh, he runs the uh, Shikon, um and organization. He turned me on to Wado uh, in the early days of my training. Um, and also, I still uh, managed to train with him occasionally. Uh, and I, I did my Tai Chi, do my Tai Chi uh, with Steve. Phenomenal martial artists, both of them absolutely incredible martial artists. They're almost like flip sides of the same coin um, to me. Um, but but uh, yeah, certainly biggest influences, um, Vince, 
as I say, great uh, martial artist, but also really a good friend and, and mentor for many years. Steve Rowe, I've known for over 30 years as well now. Um, and they continue to be uh, the main influences, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your future plans? I know now we, we, I know you teach a lot of seminars and stuff like that. Um, now we've got the pandemic, but after the pandemic, what's the, what's the future holds for you? Well, irrespective of what happens with the pandemic, um, for me, uh, I want to continue to learn. Uh, I want to continue to improve. Uh, and in whatever format it is, I would really like to be able to continue to share um, what I discover uh, with as many people as I can. You know, there's a lot of like-minded people in the martial arts now. Um, and let's say meeting and training people like yourself, uh, with Ian, um, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, definitely I think it's, it's worth mentioning really uh, inspirational people like Paul um, Del Enfield. Uh, there's, you know, so there's some fantastic people. Chris Denwood, and again, this is why I didn't want to get into naming names. Because there's so many names. And I don't want to miss people out because I don't want to um, um, offend anybody, but also it's impossible to say all those influences. Uh, but I, I want to be able to keep on sharing that information. I want to, I, you know, I, I love martial arts. I love training in martial arts. I love learning in, in and I, I, I love sharing that information out, particularly now that people are more open and more accessible uh, in certain fields. So some of the old um, uh, dogma uh, still raises its ugly head from time to time. Um, we've seen that again on courses and seminars where people will come on seminars, but they can't let their instructors know they're on a seminar, and, and which is really sad. I think that's that's unfortunate. Um, and hopefully that we'll see that change. People will become more connected. I think if with uh, this lockdown, this lack of contact, this social distancing, I think it's made people start to appreciate just how important uh, what we do is you know, and how important that social interaction is, not just for um, physical health, but also for mental health. Um, I know you... I know you're uh, running some online cl- uh, online courses as well. I've seen on your website. Yeah. Um, can you tell tell us uh, where to find you, where people can find more about the Sakikai yes. and yourselves? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, my website uh, is donkane.com. Um, everything's got donkane in it. <laughs> mm. uh, my YouTube channel is donkane applied karate. Uh, on Facebook, I've got uh, Don Kane Karate Academy Eastbourne. Uh, also, the, I've just set up, um, and then we'll be adding more content to it uh, as time goes by, um, uh, a training platform on Thinkific, and that's donkane.thinkific.com. Um, so there's all sorts of uh, material there. Um, I'm going to be doing a series of short videos as well. Um, sort of coaching videos, just two, three minutes, uh, and I'll be putting those out through via YouTube and social media over the coming months. Um, so, yeah, watch this space. Hopefully, it's something that uh, people will like, and if they like it, you know, by means get in touch, and we can see how far we can take it. Don, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, and thank you for your perseverance with all the tech issues we've had. <laughs> <laughs>